You're listening to Talk Talk, where we are talking about the theory of knowledge. So, hello and welcome back. This time we're at episode number 32, which I decided to call The Egg of Columbus. I don't know if you've heard of this story already. Um, about 500 years ago, Christopher Columbus, um, after he discovered the Americas in the year 1492, in the year 1493, he returned back and he was invited um, at a dinner celebrating his discovery. And there were many royals there and I can imagine it was a pretty fancy, uh, fancy party that they were celebrating. And uh, then uh, a couple of the folks there essentially said the following. He said, well, actually, it's nothing special. You, your discovery of America, of the New World, that is nothing special, really. I mean, anybody could have done that. I mean, it's kind of a, I don't know. Um, when I read this the first time, I would have considered this an insult. I mean, imagine that you're finished with school, you're celebrating your diploma, and then somebody tells you, well, it's an easy, it was an easy thing. Ah, who cares? Ah, nothing special. In any case, this happened 500 years ago, and what this did Christopher Columbus do? He didn't. In, he did not respond uh, to that, but instead he he was he asked for a boiled egg, and uh, they gave him the boiled egg, and then he told the other people on the table, try to balance the egg on the table on its pointed side. You know that an egg is is not uh, not equally shaped. So basically, try to tip over the egg to the pointed side and try to to let it go and try to balance the egg there without holding it and uh, without any any extra help. And uh, of course, it, this is not possible because the egg is always rolling over; it's always tipping over. And of course, the people at the party um, they did not manage that. And then Christopher Columbus, he said, okay, now I'm going to show you how to balance an egg on its pointed side. And what did he do? He took the egg and he smashed it on the table. And then guess what? The egg was standing on its side. Now, the other people then immediately understood the meaning um, of this example because they realized now that after you've accomplished a certain feat, after you've accomplished a certain task, it's easy to repeat the task. But every time when you do something the first time, it's it's difficult. And there are many other examples, um, also in science, uh, and especially from the sciences, but also in, from other areas of knowledge, that uh, where people got stuck for many years, even hundreds of years, and could not solve a problem, but then the solution was discovered, and from that point onwards, it was easy. And one of these examples was, for example, the discovery of of, uh, of flight or the invention of, of, of flying. Um, for many years in the Middle Ages, uh, it was uh, clear human beings are never going to fly because this is not meant for human beings to do. Birds fly, insects fly, but not human beings because this is not the normal place for human beings to be in the air. So they're not supposed to fly and they cannot fly. Then... Um, Later on, um, a German um, inventor, his name was Otto Lilienthal, he started to construct uh, the first uh, gliders and he was, as a matter of fact, uh, the first person who was really flying. He was actually constructing his own hand gliders. And from that point onward, it went quite quickly because uh, um, after, unfortunately he died and he, he, he crashed and he died with his uh, one of his airplanes. And then uh, sometime later, the Wright brothers in the United States, they started to uh, construct uh, the uh, airplanes, and they were the first people who were actually um, 
flying powered airplanes. And from that point onward, it went really quickly. Even um, uh, I think around ten years later, in, in first in first world war, they were already using airplanes. And in uh, because the Wright brothers, I think they started to to construct the first air, airplanes around 1900, 1901. So and uh, at that time, and already um, in the first during the first world war, they were already flying the airplanes. And then already in 1927, um, we already had the first uh, non-stop transatlantic flight from the United States to Europe. So it w went very quickly. So once you know how to design the airplane or once you have discovered something, it's very easy because the physics of flying are not really difficult. But it just took the people a long time to just discover it. Um, when I was uh, younger, I'd, I designed my own model airplanes and I didn't even use any math. They were just, I designed them uh, according to, based on rules of thumb. You don't even need any fancy math uh, to design flying airplanes. So it, it is possible, but you just have to know how it works. And where did I get my knowledge? Well, you just buy yourself a book and basically ex it explains you everything in a couple of pages. It's not really that difficult, but you have to know it. I mean, uh, you have to know it. Um, there's another um, example that I'd like to, to mention here. And this example is not from science and engineering, but it's from sports. It's also another area of knowledge, but which is, of course, not covered in, 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 in the TOK course. Um, and in sports, it's like this, that uh, maybe you know the sport of, of, of ski jumping. Um, you know, there's this catapult. The skiers are uh, skiing downhill in, in great with great speed. And then they're basically jumping into the air. And whoever flies the furthest, farthest, um, th this person wins. And for many years, uh, the people, the, the, the athletes were moving, were rotating their arms while they were in the air. They were rotating them because they were trying to imitate the flapping of birds' wings. Because they thought that you have to basically flap your wings or you have to flap your hands in order to stay up in the air longer. Now, of course, that was it's completely wrong because if you start to flap your your hands up and down or if you start to rotate your arms in the air you're causing so much air resistance that air resistance that you're really not uh, going much further you're actually jumping much shorter and then one person he um did the following he just extended his uh, arms forward and he was jumping and he left them forward and he was flying and jumping much uh, a much greater distance um, i have to ask myself now i mean why didn't anybody come of, uh, didn't why didn't anybody discover this earlier? I mean, you can discover this in a, in a few jumps only. Just leave your hands extended forward, and you're gonna jump much further. But nobody got that idea. That's kind of interesting. And from that point onwards, um, essentially, uh, the people were all jumping either with their hands extended forward or with their hands pressed pressed to the side of their own body, because this causes less air resistance. But it took them apparently quite a long time to to discover that. Um, so what is the point, uh, what's the point of the, of the whole thing? Once you know, again, once you, you're, you know how to solve a certain problem, it's easy. And now the question is, and that's basically where we get the theory of knowledge part again. Why is it that it takes such a long time to discover some things? Um, why, what does it take people such a long time to discover certain things? And sometimes one of the reasons is, is that the people, the scientists, the engineers, the whoever, they get stuck in a certain, they basically get stuck with their own hidden assumptions. There are certain assumptions that they take, and these assumptions really limit them in making progress. And uh, 
that basically is a very common thing. It goes a little bit uh, into the whole idea with paradigms. The, the American philosopher Thomas Kuhn, he basically said that um, progress in science happens because of a paradigm change. You have to basically throw overboard, you have to throw away, you have to throw away your old ways of thinking and to make place of a new way of thinking. And sometimes these old ways of thinking, these are assumptions that uh, basically are so strong and you're not even aware of them that uh, essentially they, they block you. They block you in scientific progress. Close off the whole episode a little bit. I'd like to ask you to do a little um, experiment, uh, but it's important that you later on switch off the the podcast after I told you how the experiment works, so that uh, the, I do not reveal you the solution. So if you want to try this out, then you have to switch it off, and then basically you have to restart it again to 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 listen to the solution. Should um, illustrate to you a little bit um, the the role of assumptions in, in solving certain problems, and I think you're also going to take certain assumptions that basically block your your um, block uh, your ability to find a solution. And what you need is the following: you need uh, six matches. Um, if you do not have six matches, then you can also use six pens or pencils. They should be of approximately equal. They should be of equal length. Um, but usually you do that with matches because they're more, um, it's easier to handle them. And what you're supposed to do is the following. Using these six matches, you should make three equally sized triangles. Nonsense. Now I misspoke myself. You should make four equally sized triangles, okay? Using these six matches, you should, should make four equally sized triangles without breaking the matches. Now, um, of course, there is a pretty easy way to make six equally sized triangles, but that's not what I want you to do, okay? I want you to make four equally sized triangles, not more and not less, using these six matches without any tricks, without breaking the matches or anything else, okay? So you're not allowed to manipulate the matches, okay? Uh, try that, um, and uh, you can switch off the podcast now, and later on, if you want, you can turn it on again, and that'll tell you the solution, okay? So turn it off now. Okay, um, I'm back, and I think uh, you've tried now to solve the problem um, using the six matches to make four equally sided triangles, and I don't know if you managed to do that, uh, but probably you were not able to do that because you assumed, you assumed, your assumption, your hidden assumption, you assumed that you have to work in a two-dimensional space. And you probably tried to arrange the matches on your table, and it's not going to work like that. Okay, so uh, there is absolutely no way to make uh, four equally sided triangles. Of course, you could try to make six uh, triangles. That's pretty easy. You make a, you, you make a, a, a normal sized triangle first, and then you overlap a second triangle with that, and then you've got six small triangles. Like it's like a star. But you're not supposed to do that, as I told you. So the four equally sided triangles, you cannot do that um, if you are working on a two, um, on, on on a flat table on a two dimensional space. And probably for most of you, this was your assumption, but it didn't tell you that, that you have to basically work on the flat table. Um, so the solution is quite simple. You have to make a pyramid. You arrange basically the three three matches on the table, and then you take the other three matches and you um, arrange them um, on top of the table and you try to balance them um, so that you form a pyramid. And then you have three sides of the pyramid and one triangle side which is uh, in contact with the table. And that's the only way that you can make uh, four triangles with uh, six matches. Uh, 
Okay, um, and if you had tr trouble doing that, then again, it was because you were stuck with a certain hidden assumption. So, and now you know how to do that, and from now on it's easy. Because if I ask you again, how do you do that? How can you make a triangle? Uh, how can you make four triangles with uh, with six matches? You're probably going to do it very right away. And uh, if I give you a similar example or a similar problem, then probably in the future you're also going to try to try out the third dimension. You're also trying to go up above the table into space. Okay, so you've learned something. So this basically uh, should illustrate to you a little bit that uh, the role of, of hidden assumptions and the problem of assumptions in making progress and in understanding certain things. Okay, I still wish you a nice day. I think uh, 12 and a half minutes are enough for today. You can listen to more episodes at www.toktalk.net. That's www.toktalk.net. My name is Oliver Kim, and I wish you a nice day.